weirdos. Yeah, who needs broad? Me! Right? I get to second base with Sharon, keep getting called out when I try to slide into third. Man, a poor guy bombed out in the bomb shelter. Hey. <laughs> yeah. I think we could all use a little guaranteed. All the way action. And I know just the place. Yeah? Yeah. Well, come on and tell us, Johnny. What's the secret of success? You gotta take a tip from the king of hip Cause you know that he's the best We're going prowling We're going prowling Welcome to part two of our Grease 2 episode. Uh, but before we go into real talk, we sent Em away so she doesn't have to witness uh, us pimping our patron. This is PP, our patron pitch, where we let our beloved patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron channel. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex, uh, as we've already announced, the QVRs for this month, the quick video reviews, are Thanksgiving-themed, courtesy of uh, Jason Nerdrovert. You got the movie The People, which is a, a recent movie that's streaming on Hulu. And I got the Thanksgiving classic Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Um, mm-hmm. Never seen it. It's time to time to fix that. I think I've been saying that for, for a few years now, and... Nerdover just got tired of hearing me say it, I guess. Uh, so that will be on the on the video side of the Patreon channel. As far as the bonus episode side of it, that's a pick from Dan Brennick, who also picked our, our final episode for the main feed this month. But on the Patreon side, we're going to have the movie Black Bear, a movie starring uh, April Ludgate from Parks and Rec fame. Uh, don't know anything about it. It could be also Thanksgiving themed. I don't know. Dan works in mysterious ways. Uh, but that will be available to patrons of all tiers. Uh, just a, a frank discussion about a, a black bear, I guess, and uh, Audrey Plaza. And a couple other actors, I think, that, that we may know. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? At this point, it, this month is proving to be uh, really eclectic. <laughs> <laughs> an eclectic start to our ninth year. Uh, we'll also have the usual stuff, you know, the, our uh, pre-recording notes, the cutting room floor segments, things that didn't make it into the episode. Uh, we have, of course, our uh, completed Roxena miniseries. We have our completed summer trilogy. Now that it's cold, it's uh, maybe warm yourself up with those episodes. <laughs> and then we have Contrarians After Hours. the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching or listening to or playing or thinking about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? I did clock in quite a few horror movies in the month of October. I was like blitzing through them and I've fallen like my uh, output has not been anywhere near as much this month. I need to snap back into it. But for my part of After Hours, um, not going to go into like full reviews of everything, but we're going to skim my letterbox and I'll be talking about the uh, horror movies that I watched in the month of October and then giving my little, you know, one, two sentence reviews on them. Cause you know, some of them are ones that we've talked about at length already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but j- just kind of recapping uh, my horror roadmap from the month of October and 
yeah, just kind of sharing with everybody what I watched and uh, what I thought of it. So a recap of my spooky month, as it were, will be my contribution to After Hours. What are you bringing to the table, my friend? Um, I don't have much to recap as far as uh, the the horror side of my my October. I think mm-hmm. that whatever horror exploits I had in October have already been covered in this podcast. <laughs> Safe bet. But uh, I do have something that's thematically appropriate uh, because we're talking about a musical here on this episode. And uh, I went and saw Chicago, the musical, on stage. They came to Austin and... Uh, it was quite an experience, so I'm going to be telling you about that. Uh, and then also, I I wanted to take a moment to just reminisce a little bit uh, about uh, the the rhythm games that dominated my life, my free time a few years ago. Uh, I I mentioned uh, it was a few months ago that I hooked up my 360 next to my Xbox One uh, because there were some games that I wanted to play that you know they're not available on Xbox One, and uh, that means that I was suddenly able to play all my Rock Band and Guitar Hero games, and uh, I so I've been kind of dabbling back on that. It's it's uh, something that I used to do to relax, and uh, it's suddenly the, something that still relaxes me, even though I'm not as good as I used to be. Shocker. That's what happens when you don't play <laughs> regularly. Uh, but I kind of wanted to talk to you about it. I, I I don't know how much we have as far as overlapping memories when it comes to those games, but I I was suddenly flooded with nostalgia as I was playing uh, this past weekend. So I figure it was appropriate given the given the subject of this episode. Grease two, why not throw Chicago and Guitar Hero at it? So why not? Uh, yeah. So Chicago Guitar Hero, Rock Band, all the horror movies that Alex watched. That is a really weird after hours. <laughs> we'll, we'll make it work. Uh, if any of it sounds interesting, any of the things that we've talked about, and many more, because we've been doing this patron thing for two years now, so there's a lot of stuff to look into once you, you become a member. Uh, yeah, just join. Go to patreon.com slash Prime. Check our tiers and uh, join the Contrarian Supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10 are respective tiers. You can't get much for a dollar these days, I'm telling you. Jack-in-the-box tacos, can't get two for a dollar anymore. And you can't even get like a soda for a dollar anymore. So why not just drop us a dollar in the digital tip jar that is Patron? Check it out. See what's there. See what we have to offer. Take a look around. Like Julio said, access to all previous materials, bonus episodes, uh, our Roxena mega series and uh see what you like and let us know about it and if there's something you think we'd be better off you know using resources on elsewhere let us know about that too if you're uh you don't have twitter or not comfortable reaching out to us there you can always reach out to us uh at we are the contrarians at gmail.com that is our email address uh, or just post a message on patreon but check it out to all of our current and existing patrons we do love y'all so dearly and as I like to say, we are always taking applications for new ones. So check it out. Now, Alex, let's let's call Em back. I think she's she's singing out there in the yard. Let's just mm-hmm. invite her back to the studio so we can we can have some real real talk about Grease Two. Sounds like a plan.
All right, it's time to get real about Grease 2. M is back in the studio. That's not true. M is back in her studio <laughs> all across the world. Um, I feel like this is going to be an interesting slash fun discussion between <laughs> maybe two people who have wildly opposing views and uh, Julio is going to be in the middle. <laughs> kind of wish this was called Greasier. <laughs> like instead of grease too, or more grease, it was going to be called uh, more grease. Really, that's awesome. Yeah, genuinely was. They they teetered between more grease and son of grease, and I'm like, son of grease, <laughs> son of doesn't grease. make sense. There's no children. There's no sons. Like, what's going on? Yeah. So um, that was still. This was like the tail end of that obsession with. Uh, sequels being named like the universal monster movies something of something like that so that that makes sense that's great but yeah they stuck with grease too uh maxwell caulfield aka rex manning uh aka michael garrington uh he didn't <laughs> like the fact they called it grease too he wanted them to call it more grease um, and to be fair his opinion of this movie i think is probably siding with alex a little bit <laughs> anyway uh i think his opinion has slightly shifted in recent years but he, uh, I, he's not the biggest fan of, of this movie, despite obviously everything, um, mainly because I don't think it did his career a great deal of good. Okay, whose <laughs> fault yeah, is actually, that? Um, I watched the movie. He was there. <laughs> one of the things I pulled for this was a quote of his where he said, before Grease 2 came out, I was being hailed as the next Richard Gere or John Travolta. However, when Fuck Grease off. 2 flopped... <laughs> There's no way. very humble, humble young man. Based on what? I don't fucking know. But when Grease 2 (laughs) flopped, nobody would touch me. It felt like a bucket of cold water had been thrown in my face. It took me 10 years to get over Grease 2. And God knows I love Rex Manning, but let's not act like you had some uh, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon-esque career following that. Um, I mean, let's be honest. I think he's just a sore loser because he saw Michelle Pfeiffer's career after this. Obviously, mm-hmm. she did Scarface yeah. after yeah. this. Um, and then was literally one of the biggest actresses of her generation. So I think there's a little bit of like sore loser syndrome going on, to be honest. Because, <laughs> like, yep. I mean, if yeah. Michelle oh, Pfeiffer absolutely. can have a decent career after this movie, then maybe it's just like he's got a bad attitude, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. Dude, there's so many cases you can make of actors that overcame like shit first movies. Like, um, what was that? Girls just want to have fun. I think Sarah Jessica Parker turned out all right in the end. And uh, <laughs> she was also in, what was that, Ride of the Navigator? And it, like that. And um, I think he's wrong for this, but Kevin Bacon definitely acts like that's the case with him being in Friday the 13th. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I ever was in something this bad and made, you know, a, a career for myself. And well, Paul Rudd, um, since you bring it up, there you go. Paul, <laughs> Paul Rudd. Rudd. That's a, that's a great fucking example. And he's mature enough now to look back on it kind of fondly, but, um, am for what we're referencing. He's in Halloween six, which oh, is, okay. I didn't know that a very very bad movie and he is not very good in it uh but right around the same time he made clueless so that kind of you know love him you eat a, yeah you eat a potato chip with a carrot they kind of cancel each other out so he <laughs> he did all right with that um but now he looks back on it like hey it's cool i was in hell well, so yeah, anyway i think it's just one of those things isn't it and and also like paul rudd i think is a genuinely nice guy 
Uh, not that I'm suggesting that Maxwell Caulfield isn't, but he, he doesn't come across <laughs> as well as someone like Paul Rudd does. Anyway. Well, look, hot take. I also think that uh, Paul Rudd is a better actor than Maxwell Caulfield. <laughs> <laughs> I think yes. that, that goes a little a little along the way to uh, to help your career. And I would also say that Michelle Pfeiffer gives a better performance in Grease 2 than Maxwell Caulfield. So I, That's it, what makes the Rex Manning character work perfectly is because he's so believable as like this delusional has been. And yeah. I'm not saying that's necessarily what he is in real life, but I'm saying his performance in that movie, as far as like from an acting perspective, is probably the best in empire records and it's because he just he's such an asshole and it's like i believe this guy so who knows he could be the greatest guy in the world but you know based on his uh opinion of this and kind of just the things we mentioned just now i think it's um worth calling out and then as m stated the immediate follow-up for michelle pfeiffer was scarface so i just <laughs> love the idea of fucking <laughs> De Palma or Al Pacino watching Grease 2. Like, we gotta get her. I mean, yeah. She'd be uh, great. That, that didn't happen. But yeah, De Palma didn't want her. Um, I think it was, uh, I can't remember the name of the producer, but the producer, one of the producers was like, you've got to try this girl. And De Palma basically, he didn't want to see her, but he did see her. And then he, and then he realized she was really good. And then obviously he hired her for Scarface. But he didn't want her based on Grease 2 at all. So, um, I mean, can't blame him. It's, it's not really, as an audition for Scarface, not really a good one. Well, I'm fucking, that's rich coming from De Palma, who like shoehorned Nancy Allen into shit. So, come on. <laughs> like, uh, all love and respect to Nancy Allen. But as has been discussed on this podcast several times, she gets dwarfed in some of those movies. Um, okay. June 11th, 1982 was the release date, directed as our resident Grease 2 expert called out, uh, Patricia Birch, written by Ken Finkelman, who went on to pen, uh, at least in his early career, had a, a, a penchant for the sequels, because after this, he uh, wrote and directed Airplane 2. So there you go. Uh, music by Louis St. Louis, which we will circle back to. A budget almost doubling that of the original Grease, $11.2 million for a box office return of 15.2. So clearing the uh, the marker, but not by much. Julio, we have one here. This movie does have a notorious, notorious has a negative connotation, a, um, a very well noted uh, cult like following. Cult like following is does not carry. I know, I, I say notorious has a negative connotation, <laughs> but then I say cult for like following. Uh, so. This movie has a well-documented fan base of its own, and uh, we have a representative here, but also, before we jump into that, let's hear what uh, the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, those ones that were presenting shiny, nice red tomatoes for Grease 2. All right, we got four shiny red tomatoes. Um, We're going to start with Gary Arnold from Washington Post, who says, Grease 2 is the most serendipitous sequel in recent memory. It is an ingratiating, jubilant improvement on a crummy original. So we know where Gary stands when it comes to the first Grease. Could it be that it's easier to like Grease 2 if you don't like Grease 1? Uh, because Absolutely. I can certainly relate to that feeling. <laughs> um, next, Corny Enloe from Pajiba says, Grease 2 is a film with a female protagonist who is unabashedly herself to the judgment of her peers. We talked a lot about this in the Contrarian's Corner. Uh, I, I have some uh, rebuttals to your... Uh, enthusiastic defense of Stephanie's character, M. 
coming up soon. Uh oh. Classic Peruvian man telling a woman how to feel, specifically an English woman. <laughs> uh, next, when Inat from AV Club says, unlike Grease's cool Rizzo, Stucker Channing, Stephanie doesn't have to be mean to anyone who doesn't fit into her pink lady standard. She's just cool, period. Um, is she mean to anyone in this movie? I don't remember. No. And that's one of the other things, I didn't mention that before, but that's one of the other things I love about her, is she's nice. She's a cool girl. She's like one of the coolest girls in the school. But she's nice to everyone. She doesn't have a mean bone in her body. Unlike Rizzo, who is mean to everyone she meets. Again, Mark yes. for Greece too. They could have made Stephanie a total bitch, but they didn't. They made her nice. It's because she's fucking like brain drained half the time just being <laughs> fawning over a dude. She's just sitting like staring off in class and shit. Yeah, all the time she's not. She most of the time she's like, I want to be independent. Like I want, oh, we, we maybe should wait to get into this actually. <laughs> let's wait, let's wait until Leo finishes. All right. I've, I have one quote left and this is caffeinated Clint for Movie Hole who says, sure, it's nowhere near as good, but you'll forget about that once the rockin' soundtrack kicks in. Um, I can also relate to that. I, I really like the music for the most part in this movie. So I guess we'll start start before we get into the big debate about how much of a feminist icon uh, Stephanie is or isn't. Let's go. Which song is your favorite in the movie? Uh, <laughs> I already kind of like showed my cards in Concerns Corner. So I'll just repeat it. To me, Prowling is uh, the peak that uh, agrees to reaches. Like a debutant comes across. Now that's what I call class. Well, I like a tall girl with long legs. You know what I like? I like a girl who's really smart. Provided that she's really That's where the movie peaks. And after that, it's just, you know, everything else. Nothing is as good as that song and that musical number. M looks like she's going to have a lot of trouble narrowing down to one. So, Alex, do you have one or do you just hate every musical number? I don't hate anything in this movie. Let's get that first and foremost. Yay! I hate is reserved for very specific circumstances. Uh, it's the the problem is, is just because I love the first one so much. Uh, yeah, the problem was I had my brain set to the first Grease and this is not like that at all. Uh, I mean, obviously, like the idea is but um i didn't find the musical numbers to be as extravagant i found them to be plentiful that's the difference i feel like there's more just music that escalates the plot as opposed to just like in the first grease it's like we stop and we sing now and mm -hmm. in this one it's like we do these musical numbers to move some situations along or you know, build shit up, that type of thing, more so than the first one. So uh, I don't know. I think some of them I didn't really care for. Reproduction is just hilarious, uh, and especially the the way it plays out, where by the end of it, the women are singing from the male perspective and the <laughs> men are singing from the female perspective. I found that to be really entertaining. That it's it would probably be that because that's the one that I remember the most. Like, I was adjusting my expectations during like the first half hour of this movie. Like when they were doing that score tonight song, I was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> and so I was 
trying to just kind of <laughs> get like, with where's it. Where's Sandy? Think, where's Sandy? Well, I knew they weren't here. I did <laughs> pop huge when Frenchie's like, oh, you're Sandy's cousin. Why, why is Frenchie here? Why is Eugene here? And uh, okay, so this is about the music. I think reproduction is the one I'll find myself humming the most and uh, most looking forward to if we ever go back, uh, if I ever revisit this movie. I am um, glad very glad that if nothing else we can agree on uh that m called out charades is very bad yes yeah that's why yeah yeah, yeah that's i think that that's unanimous <laughs> yeah. yeah charades sucks i couldn't believe that they would make that mistake you know like because you okay let's say you shot it when you're editing the movie you have to realize this is such a huge dip in energy you know everything has been so like fun and moving forward and then it just slows down to a crawl while he just throws a pity party in the cafeteria it's just so weird the rain is So I'll just quickly comment on that before we get to M because we obviously want to get her favorite musical number. But the guy who did the music, and this is I'm sure M knows this already, Louis St. Louis, his main contribution musically to the first Grease was the song Sandy that John Travolta sings at the drive-in when he's mm-hmm. like down, you know, Sandy, <laughs> can't you see? <laughs> and the fucking let's all go to the lobby plays in the background. So anyway. He wrote that, so my read on it was he thought that's what brought him to the dance, so he needed a sequence that was similar to it, and that's why I put it in here. This is something M can probably debunk immediately, but that's just the way I read it. <laughs> uh, well, M can't escape it anymore. What is your favorite <sighs> song slash musical number in Grease 2? Okay, it's charades. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is literally the worst. Um, so... I definitely see the merits of the of the two that you've put forward. So obviously, Julio, you put forward Prowling, and that is a great song. And I really do think it's it's such a brilliant demonstration of Adrian Zamed and and what he can do, and and basically why he played Danny Zuko on Broadway. Like he's a great performer, and I I think he's great in that, and the rest of the T Birds as well. And and then obviously Alex mentioning reproduction, and I'm like. That is the one that I think most people will go to because it's mm. a little bit iconic. Like if you think of Greece too, I think most people just instantly will go to reproduction because it is a pretty iconic song. It's about shagging. And also <laughs> it's got that really iconic kind of classroom setting and and this video with all of this sexual innuendo. And let's not forget, like this was the start of the 60s and the sexual revolution and and this movie leans so heavily into sex. Like, everything's about sex, and I love it. Um, <laughs> but I think at a push, I would probably have to go with Cool Rider. Huh. You really want to know what I want in a guy. Well, I'm looking for a dream on a meat machine with hell in his eyes. I want a devil it's just that real kind of female empowerment song of if you do want a guy, because you don't have to have one, but if you do, fuck yeah, he's got to be really cool and sexy and hot. <laughs> and he doesn't have to ride a bike. I mean, that's what Stephanie is keen on. But, you know, just someone who ticks all of your boxes. And 
anyone could be the cool rider for you personally. Like if you're really into like really nerdy guys, for example, like that could be your cool rider. It's just Stephanie saying this is what she wants personally. But I really love that she is, you know, open like sexually and emotionally. And she's basically like, yeah, this is the kind of guy that I really want and that I'm happy to kind of wait for him to come along. I'm not just going to settle for some random guy because I want a cool rider. And in my life, like, as I mentioned last episode, kind of single at the moment, but always kind of in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, just looking for that cool rider because that, that song just like permeates in my brain. And every time I go on a date with a guy, it's kind of like, you know, could see the be cool, like rider. cool rider levels? <laughs> but I, I actually, I love that. I, I mean, not enough to change my answer, but... <laughs> it does give me like a perspective on the movie that I hadn't considered, I guess. Uh, and maybe it's because, you know, I watched it as a guy. But the idea that Cool Rider and kind of like what uh, Michelle Pfeiffer stands for in Greece too is the fact that you shouldn't settle for yeah. anything but what you want. I mean, that is, I like it. Uh, and because she does, she doesn't, you know, like she, she falls for the Cool Rider and it's not that eventually because you know i think that some movies would do like oh she falls for the cool writer but then she falls for michael by himself without realizing they're the same person she likes michael like they go and he helps her with her homework or whatever but i i don't think that she ever stops saying you know so thinking i you know this is my standard this is what i'm gonna go out with so it's cool that at the end of the movie you know she she realizes that they're both one and the same but it doesn't mean that she lowered her standards exactly uh, and i I like that. I I have more of an issue, and I'm I, I'm pretty sure Alex is gonna back me up on this. <laughs> I was about to say, doesn't fucking Rex Manning have to change everything about himself? Well, that's Rex Manning's problem. That's not <laughs> Michelle <laughs> Pfeiffer's problem because he's still he's still the same kind of sweet, kind guy underneath. It's going back to um, I can't remember if we record if we were recording where we were talking about like um, you know different facets of people. We were actually. Um, but, you know, like people have different um, parts of their personality. You can be really shy and quiet and reserved and you can also be really loud and bubbly and, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. And Stephanie is kind of like, she sees this quiet, nerdy guy and she's like, yeah, you're all right, but I'm not really into that. But then this other part of himself, this really cool guy who wants to get out, is in there. He doesn't actually change for her. He's just showing her a different side, the side that she happens to really want. Um, peels like an onion. Exactly. Because we're not all, you know, it's like I I was I was listening to to, I think it was like a podcast or something, and they were basically saying about how different people have different opinions of you depending on the version of you that they see. So for example, if I'm having a bad day and I'm really grumpy, someone could meet me and go, oh, she's really grumpy. Like, I don't want anything to do with her. She's like, you know, but that's just that part of me that they saw at that one time. The rest of the time, I'm like this, you know, <laughs> but people form opinions based on first impressions. And I think this movie is going some way to saying like, don't judge a book by its cover, you know, that there are different facets to people's personalities if you actually get to know them. And well, that's I think, what Stephanie does. I think that Do you have that same read them. about the... I'm sorry, Julio. I just wanted to ask her this Oh, I was quick. about to ask that too. <laughs> I know what you're getting. Do you have the same read of the first one like that? That that's just a different part of Sandy's personality? <laughs> or do you read it as that she has to change for Danny to like her? 
Mm, no, I. We haven't talked about how I feel about the original Grease yet, have we? <laughs> no, no, we haven't actually. I, well, that might shed light on some of the the reasons why you love this movie so much. So, I saw Grease two before I saw Grease. So Grease two has always kind of been my Grease. It's always the Grease that I've kind of gone to, and. Honestly, when I saw then the original Grease, which everyone was telling me was like the Grease that I should prefer, everyone literally growing up as a, as a kid in the middle of England, everyone was like, Grease is a phenomenon. I mean, it was like every, every party, every wedding, you'd have the Grease mega mix coming on. You'd have people doing the Grease lightning dance. You know, <laughs> I'm sure it's the same in the States as well. The, the music of Grease is everywhere. Oh, yeah. And so it's a it, it was a genuine pop culture phenomenon, and but it's also culturally not really acceptable for anyone to prefer Greece to over Greece. And so there was a lot of peer pressure when I was younger that I had to like Greece because it wasn't acceptable to like Greece to over Greece. Nowadays, I think it is acceptable to like Grease 2 over Grease. So I feel a lot more confident in saying that I think Grease 2 is the superior Grease. I think it's better than the original in every conceivable way. I will say that I think the, you know, the pairing of John Travolta and Olivia Newton John, I think overall, I think that that works quite well. And I think that those roles are iconic. But I have real issue with the portrayal of women in that movie, uh, the portrayal of how Danny treats people in that movie. Danny is specifically quite mean to Sandy. He tries to sexually assault her. Um, <laughs> and It is true. It's, and then it's like Sandy is expected to just be this quiet, meek girl who just kind of says yes. And I'm really glad, actually, that Sandy sticks up for herself in that movie. And she's like, Danny, what are you doing? You're, like, You're trying to grope me, get off me kind of thing. Um, but the fact he even tries, you know, this is supposed to be like this girl that he really likes. Like he's supposed to treat her with respect. And not only does he try to grope her in like the drive through, but he also dances with uh, Chacha. And it's like, why? Why are you dancing with this random woman? You're here with Sandy. Like you've just left your girl alone on the dance floor. Why didn't you take to Chacha? No, I'm with my girl. Like, bugger off, love. I'm not interested in you. And it's just like things like that. I'm just like, but he's not then a how nice do you guy. feel about the T-birds in, in this movie? Because they have, they do Dude, a yeah. lot of that. I think the difference is, and I know that this is key, at least in the way that how I how I experienced the movie. The difference is like, or like we called out in, in Guitar's Corner, they uh I think that as a group, the the pink ladies they push back a lot more in, in this movie uh, yes. against that type of behavior. Uh, and so I think that maybe that makes it feel more balanced. And also yeah. I think that this movie makes them makes the T-Birds look less cool, which yes. makes it feel like they're it's endorsing their their behavior less. I thought it was I thought it was supposed to be like making them the bad guys by the end, because they're such assholes and they're like deviance and <laughs> especially the way the the ringleader johnny like is like excoriating um paulette paulette thank you about what she's wearing so i thought it was building towards the t-birds getting like ostracized and so oh, when no, they're just, too likable for that, that, that but that's my point is like so when 
fucking Rex Manning just became a T-Bird at the end. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, this this seems counterproductive to everything else that's been happening so far. Well, but I'm, but, I'm curious, because the behavior stands. So I'm curious, am, do you, yeah. like, does it bother you when, when you see them? Because here, Johnny is pretty, pretty awful. And then, yeah. you know, Louis has the, the musical number where he tries to trick... Um, What's her name? Sharon. Sharon. Having sex yeah. with him. And uh, Shooter McGavin. I mean, he is, he's there like, also sexualizing women and, you know, touching them and all that stuff. So did you, I know that by now probably you've seen it so many times that you're kind of like used to like these things. Is I think that when you, when you know how it all ends, I think that it's a lot easier to just put it all This is the, the dazed and confused thing we were just talking about recently. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but still, like, does it bother you? Like, because you know, it see, it sounds like it bothers you a lot in the first Grease. Yeah, so wouldn't it bother well, you as much no, in this one? That's the thing. Like, it it does bother me in this movie. As as I mentioned in the last episode that we did, I acknowledge that there are problematic aspects to this to Grease too. Um, I'm not sitting here saying that you know Grease is the worst and Grease two should not be held up to the same level because. Absolutely, there are problematic things about Greece too. And it's not that I'm excusing the problematic behavior in Greece too. But what I do like is that the women in this movie, as opposed to, I mean, you could argue that Rizzo has quite a lot of agency in that first Greece movie. But even then, like the way the movie treats Rizzo is that, oh, you know, she had sex. She might be pregnant. So she's a slut kind of thing. And I'm just like, I know it was maybe the attitude back in like the 50s to kind of have that framing of a woman who, you know, may or may not be pregnant. But she, um, but she's fine with herself, though. There, she, there are worse things she could do. She's comfortable with who she is. She is. And, and I do like that about Rizzo. But my, but again, I feel like the, the issue that I have with Rizzo is that she's not a very nice person. Like... I, yeah. I have no issue with the fact that she is sexually active. I feel like good for her. Like if she's embracing her sexuality and she's she can sleep with whoever she wants to sleep with because she's a woman. She has her own agency. I respect that about Rizzo. But what I don't respect about Rizzo is the fact that she's really mean to everyone. This girl has come over from Australia, Sandy. She's brand new to the school. She doesn't know anyone. And all Rizzo does is be really cruel to her. And that, I, I just think he's awful. I have absolutely no problem with the rest of, of what Rizzo is doing. But at least in this movie, Stephanie, like I said, they could have framed her as being this total bitch. And this new kid comes into school and they could have, you know, have her be completely bitchy to him. She's nice to him. As soon as she meets Michael, she gives him advice. I just, I just kind of have a bit of an issue with character portrayals in that first Grease because that movie is lauded for for being the pop culture phenomenon that it is but i feel like there's a lot of problematic character traits in that movie that thankfully don't then get translated into this one because like julio mentions in um in contrarian's corner it is essentially a gender swapped version but it is more than that as well uh oh michael I think there's something you don't understand. See, Stephanie Zanoni is a pink lady, which means if you're not a T-bird, which you are not, you can look, but don't touch. Michael, I wouldn't even look. I have I have to, like, the subject of Rizzo, I think Rizzo is actually a really good 
reference point to have because tough it, but tender. Well, but also because she is, I, I think she's the most interesting character in in the original Greece. I, I think, and Alex, you can correct me because you're the Greece expert there. You're uh, you're the one that has <laughs> the Greece steelbook. Uh, do they ever have a moment in the first Greece where Rizzo comes to terms with how she treated Sandy? Like, do they have a moment where they connect? Because uh, I know she has like her song that's like her own song where she kind of goes like. I'm all alone and, you know, but I don't remember if they have a moment of reconciliation between the two, which would, you know, if yeah, you seem like that, that would complete myself. her arc. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think there is. I don't think, I, I would have really appreciated it more, I think, if at the end of Greece, because obviously at the end of Greece, they have that huge like song and dance number and it looks like she and Sandy Ugh, are friends. It's incredible. There's no... <laughs> Sandy, I'm sorry for being a bitch to you. You know, women should stick together kind of thing. I would have liked that, actually, at the end of Greece. I think that would have made me appreciate her character a little bit more. Well, I would have liked You got to remember, though, for both these movies, they're fickle. They're high school students. <laughs> I, mean, I think yes. we forget that because okay. they all look like they're 45. <laughs> yeah, it's because they're in their 50s. So, <laughs> But yeah. I would have liked that. I would have liked punctuation on either way, actually. You know, I would have liked that. I would have liked the movie Greece to either tell me that they're okay now or tell me that Reese is okay with not caring for Sandy. Because, you know, that's a movie like... My problem with Reese in the first movie is that it kind of... Her story, it kind of like fades away. You know, she starts... You know, she's the, the strongest character, like the one that has the most like attitude, like strong personality. And then she she's sort of dating Kaniki and she gets pregnant. And then the, the pregnancy becomes a big deal. There's a... A sense of stress, and then it just—I know—we mentioned it when we did the episode on Grease. Alex, like, it's just resolved like in one single line. She's like, "Oh, just kidding, I'm not pregnant." And then it's, you know, there's like a lot of buildup, and it doesn't do her justice. And uh, I understand she's not the main character; she's not the protagonist in that movie, and that might explain why there's no more time devoted to you know closing that arc. But uh, I don't feel that Grease does a good job of like telling you where that character stands at the end. It's just more like she had a big problem, and then. There was a big musical number at the end that kind of addressed it, like on the sidelines. Uh, now, by contrast, my so I think I like Stephanie, like as a person, <laughs> as a person that's depicted in this movie. Uh, I don't think she's as interesting as Rizzo because I'm missing like uh, the. I mean, she doesn't have to be cruel, but I wanted it to be. I wanted there to be more uh, in 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 that portrayal because I like when she goes. I'm nobody's chick or I don't want to be anybody's chick. And I'm like, that's cool. Okay. So now, now I get what the character is about. Uh, but then once she becomes obsessed with the cool writer, I don't think that the movie does anything with her. Like she's now she's just waiting for him to come and reveal himself. She, she like that agency got it. Like gets lost. Like there's nothing else going on for her. Everybody else in the movie is doing things. And she's just kind of waiting for, for this dream guy to show up. And, that's where the movie kind of lost me uh, on that end because I I really like Michelle Pfeiffer. I really liked her performance. I really liked what she was doing. And then the movie kind of ran out of things uh, for her to do. You know, it's like she meets this mysterious guy, and from now on, well, all she's gonna do is like be obsessed with him. And that's where that's why I feel like uh, it got a little weaker her character because it you know I didn't I'm like what else is going on? And the comparison to Rizzo just came to mind because you know in a way the first Grease does the same thing to its best character they front load her 
her arc, and then they just don't know what else to do with her. And then, like I said, you know, it, it kind of fizzles, fizzles out by the end. So, uh, I don't know, Alex, I think that you're harder even on Stephanie than I am. It, it, am I getting that right? Uh, I don't know about that. It's I just don't think this is a good movie. But I think to the point of Michelle Pfeiffer, and this is like... I'm trying to think of how to word this to make it sound like it's not it's not her problem. It's just she's so much better than everyone else. Michelle Pfeiffer, that is, is just like even this young and just kind of fresh, new to the game. She's still just like trouncing these people and like in terms of acting ability and uh, magnetism. And the thing with her and Rex Manning, too, is like I found them to have no chemistry like the. I made that analogy to the comparison to drive in the first half and like <laughs> that scene in drive that they're at the diner. They don't really talk. They're just like staring at each other. And I mean, that's what they do, but there's more <laughs> chemistry in that scene than there is with these two, like having a full conversation with each other when they're secretly in love. And it's just, uh, there's that, uh, apparently her and, uh, Caulfield did not get along when they made this movie. The quote I found was she described him as self-adoring, and I think we've kind of already uh, <laughs> come to that determination on our own. But um, interestingly, Debbie Harry was asked to play the role of Stephanie, but she declined, saying she was too old to play a high school student. She would have been like 35. Um, didn't stop Sonny in the first one. but uh, <laughs> Stephanie, the character... I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know if I have any issues with the, the character... I think of everything in this movie, nothing about Michelle Pfeiffer's performance or the Stephanie character is the problem. And I do, if you know, I can be positive about something, it's exactly the gender swap ideology. It's just like, good. <laughs> Make these dudes work for it, man. Um, even if, you know, at least the main love story went about it the right way. These other fuckers are just like, pigs and sex hounds and desperate and uh making up nuclear war to try to get laid it's like there's so many <laughs> better things you could do man come on let's work oh. well it's, i thought it was pretty funny and uh, do you like uh em do you like uh, michael caulfield in this in this movie because i think that maybe i would have less of a problem with the michelle pfeiffer arc if i was as enamored with the cool writer as she is but when i know that the cool writer is this wet blanket <laughs> then i just can't really get invested in that relationship i mean i think it's quite interesting because as we've already discussed um it, it would appear that maxwell caulfield the person is maybe a, a little bit up himself um and i really feel like obviously he thought that when he did this he thought that he would obviously have a huge career from it um I mean, I like an attractive man as much as the next person. And he is a very good-looking man. The thing for me is separating the Maxwell Caulfield from the Michael Carrington of it all. I'm not, I wouldn't be interested in someone like Maxwell Caulfield personally, just based on what I know, uh, what I've read in interviews of him and stuff like that. I just don't think we would get along. <laughs> it's just, I, I'm, I'm not really into people who kind of love themselves that much but um the character of michael is is appealing for several reasons but mostly because i think that 
when you grow up, like you were a teenager in the 90s kind of thing, we were always exposed here in the UK to a lot of um, American stuff. There was obviously all the movies were American, sitcoms were American. You know, it's like I used to watch a lot of like Beverly Hills 90210. That was like one of my favorite shows when I was a teenager. And you always had like, you know, the the Brandon, you know, the nice guy, you know, take him home to your mother kind of guy. But then you had the Dylan, you know, the bad boy, the guy the that was Perry. like wear, wore a leather jacket and was a bit edgy. And everyone, everyone, all of my friends always preferred Dylan to Brandon because it was like to get a guy like that interested, that's like endgame. So for me, having a character like Michael, who's not only a sweet, kind, intelligent kid, but then to have that other side to him, you know, the cool rider, this elusive, hunky, mysterious guy who wears black leather. This, this is a trend. Uh, wears black leather and doesn't really talk all that much because he's the strong, silent type. I mean, hello, that is incredibly appealing. I had this idea of Mr. Wright, remember? Which is a stupid idea, right? Right. And then all out of nowhere he shows up. Like some dream or something. Who? Mr. Wright. Alright. See, I, I get it that in the in the character design that that works. I just don't think that uh that Rex Manning pulls it off. I, I just there is something to his performance that is uh, and I know part of it is what Alex was saying. I think that Michelle Pfeiffer is so much more charismatic than he is that you just, you're just constantly thinking, well, she can do better, you know? And then uh, better doesn't mean Johnny. It just means, like, somebody else that we don't meet in that uh, in that school. Uh, yeah, I just don't find him as charismatic. I just don't find him as, as, I don't know, appealing. I feel like I should be feeling, even, you know, as a straight The male, problem is you had fucking John Travolta in the first see, one. See, I didn't want to like, say it, but that is, I mean, that is a, a point of itself, which is that the, the way that this movie was kind of destined to live in the shadow of Greece. And so Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah, that doesn't help that yeah, you have, you know, the and, like regardless of what you think of the first movie, John Travolta yep. and we spent an entire summer making a case for this, was like <laughs> one of the more talented actors, especially at that time. Good looking, could act, sing and dance. And like good, well at all those <laughs> I things. Mean, that's the and thing. So, you you can't put John Travolta and Maxwell Caulfield in a room in a sense that John Travolta has that charisma. And I fully appreciate he has the talent, he has the charisma, he has the looks. You know, John Travolta in the late 70s, he was a hot guy, you know. and But he also has the talent to kind of back it up, like you say, with the singing mm -hmm. and the dancing and everything like that. And really, Maxwell Caulfield can't compete. And I, I agree with basically what you're both saying, that Michelle Pfeiffer is so good in this movie that I, I feel bad for Maxwell Caulfield in a way. I don't think he's helped himself, but it must be hard no. to be a, you know, someone who wants, who wants the fame because clearly he did want the fame and he did want the fortune. And it is sad that he did try and it hasn't really worked for him. And that's the problem, like... 
he would say, or some would say, well, you can't compare him to John Travolta. You know, that's not fair. And it's like, okay, well, then they should have called the movie something else. I mean, they shouldn't have called it Grease <laughs> 2. That's the thing. It's, uh, that's the, the main issue with Grease 2. And I will fully acknowledge this. Even though I love the movie so much, it's always going to have that stigma of being the sequel to Grease. It's always going to be compared to Grease. And, you know, 99.9% of the world prefers Grease. <laughs> To Greece too. So that's um, yeah, and that's uh, you know, to make a horror analogy, that's something that's always been talked about about Halloween three. Is like that's a fine movie. The problem is they called it Halloween three. Uh, if they called it anything else, it'd probably have a better legacy or you know be more fondly remembered. And I think that's a case you can make for Greece too. Um, and I must invoke my Liam Gallagher card real quick. I didn't say she was good. I just said she was the best part of this movie. <laughs> Uh, so. <laughs> oh, go on, say something nice. Go on, just try. <laughs> Dude, Christopher McDonald's great. Yes, Shooter McGavin's out there. Well, he's, I think uh, he's a lot of fun. What's uh, what's Johnny's name? Uh, real name? Uh, Adrian Zemed. Uh, Adrian Zemed. Adrian Zemed. I think he's he's a, a scene stealer. Uh, I think it takes talent to play such an asshole and still be so likable. Julio, do you know who auditioned for that role? John Travolta. Tom Cruise, uh, but I don't uh, think, Patricia I don't Birch know. was said she wanted someone older and taller to play a high schooler. <laughs> yeah, for real. And like Tom Cruise, I mean, that's always been the joke. He's, you know, uh, Nicole Kidman famously said after their breakup, well, I can wear heels again. So I just imagine like uh, if he was in this doing all these things, having him like stand on boxes or shit to make him seem taller. <laughs> Well, um, I mean, Cruz is charismatic. I think he could have pulled it off, but uh, yeah, I don't need him as a, a like background character because Johnny. I guess you could make the argument he's like player C. He's like the third lead. Well, I, in my mind, I see maybe I am the one that dislikes Maxwell Caulfield the most out of you know in this movie because to me he is the lead. Like I was watching this movie and I'm, I did not care for uh, for Michael. And so I was just mostly tracking Johnny throughout the movie, uh, which is why it was so rewarding to see him have a little bit of an arc and just uh, at the very end uh, swallow his pride and kind of acknowledge who was a better person <laughs> by by handing Michael that jacket. Uh, so I think that maybe that's, at least for someone like me, that's the key to really enjoying Grease 2 is not focusing on the main romance because I can't get invested in that one, but instead following what's going on with the T-Birds because that's very entertaining and it has a satisfying payoff at the end. <laughs> he even learns, I think, somewhat to respect Paulette uh, yeah. by the end. I, yeah, I think I he have, does. I have hope that they're going to work it out. So that, that there's that. I'd hope so. Dude, that first shot of, like, come on. I mean, I'm not complaining as a... Uh, at the bowling alley, know, is that what you're saying? Or Yeah, a, a straight male or whatever phrase you want to use. A red-blooded man. That shot of her like <laughs> bending over, just gratuitous shot of her ass. But I was like, come on, dog. Like <laughs> We were already past this. But uh, It's for I think fun. It is, and it sets up that song that one of many that's about fornication. <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, <laughs> I love that you call it fornication. Let's just... Let's just call it fucking, like shagging, you know. We call it shagging, which is a very like you know fancy way of calling it. That's, I guess not. Maybe not. No, uh, not it, in it's the really UK. not. Have you never seen Austin Powers? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Austin it brings Powers a very is, British twinge yeah. to it. <laughs> British flavor. Shags I was over like, here in the UK. 
<laughs> well, I'm trying to think of like expressions that M needs to use now to make it Brit- mad for it or something like that. <laughs> uh, all right. In, 2000, in a 2003 interview, Dee Dee Khan explained why her character Frenchie disappeared halfway into the movie. She said the script was unfinished when they began filming, but the draft they were still using included Frenchie. The character was written out during filming, and she was told halfway through that she was no longer needed. The filmmakers ultimately decided to include Frenchie in the final cut, though they had limited footage. Khan described the filming process as rushed, frantic, and unorganized. I think that's kind of... (laughs) I, I hate to say... That we've watched so many movies, you can kind of tell when something feels a bit rushed or disjointed. Um, for that, with that being said, if I could be positive about it, with just based on the like minimal research I did for this coming into it, the fact they were able to put together uh, choreographed numbers of that scope in a short amount of time is pretty impressive. I, again, I don't think they're as impressive or as expansive as those in the first one, but there's a lot of like. Uh, I think I read they had like 500 extras or something. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people doing some insane dancing in this. And they're, yeah. the, I, I do not like the closing number. I think it's way too melancholic and like too slow and just kind of a, a downer. But like, but again, um, that is the curse of being the follow up to Greece because the only reason I don't like it either. But I think the only reason I don't like it is because I think to the ending of Greece, which is so upbeat and so like fast paced, and this one really slow things down. If if I didn't have that comparison to Greece, then I wouldn't, you know, it would be like, okay, this is how they ended the movie. But That's it's fair. like you yeah. can't help yeah. but think it's not about Babaluba or whatever. Yeah. I actually have a question <laughs> for Alex. I, I I want to know. So the ending of Greece, obviously famously, um Danny and Sandy fly off in a car. Yep. Um and in this movie, they don't fly off <laughs> on a bike. Uh, they were going to, but they decided against it because, I mean, if, do you not think that's ridiculous? <laughs> oh, it's so <laughs> stupid. But that's like that's like, like why I love it. Because every time I talk to people about Greece, I'm like, it, it ends with them flying away in like a fucking car. Like... It, it's classic. But why though? Because it's just. Why do they fly off? Classic fucking seventies Hollywood bullshit of like, here you go. Like, I, I because a movie that vapid's an extreme word, but like, um, it's just such a silly movie, and I feel like that solidifies my love of it because it ends in such a stupid way. They get in a car and they fly away in the car and Sandy turns around and waves goodbye to everybody. It's just like, that's, you know, it's, um, I forgot. Uh, she John, John Wayne. I can't remember his exact quote, but he said, someone asked him like, why didn't this happen in your movie? And he's like, cause then it wouldn't have been a movie. And it's just like, that's how I feel about Greece. I fully like understand how just fucking ridiculous and dumb it is but that's kind of the reason i love it but do you like uh, the, the the end credits here because i did the i did like them the the jumping your the book photos frames. i thought that was cool yeah yeah it was it was really cute uh, that i can it was, get behind. um that was kind of like a early example of a big uh gimmick that um can't hardly wait relied on the yearbook mm-hmm. photos and stuff so yeah I, that i liked um something i would not have liked an m Again, it I I did not know you had like this is like me with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The knowledge you're just dropping on this movie for me. So, uh, but Kaniki Jeff Con. Well, I have just done an 
episode on it. So I the the knowledge is pretty fresh. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, but they had Kaniki uh, Jeff Conway was scheduled to do a, a cameo as the bowling alley mm-hmm. manager, but that was scrapped. And I was like, do you know how fucking depressing that would have been if they had a scene where like you know <laughs> he's a, a Rydell High graduate and now he manages the bowling alley. So wait, and- he was gonna be well- Kaniki as the bowling manager or just? Another character. Well, I guess I don't know. I, I just I always refer well, to him as Kaniki, yeah. but he might have just been like uh, you know Wes Craven and Scream. <laughs> he was in a cameo as Jeff Conway. <laughs> you 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 never know kind of what the choice decisions people are going to make. But I when I was researching for for the episode that I did, I found out that they they were going to ask John Travolta and Olivia Newton John to come back because they were like, well. You know, we've obviously got Frenchie in this movie, and we've got like the principal and the principal's assistant and the coach, the coach Eugene, as well. uh, Eugene, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, they were going to ask them to come back, and they were going to ask them to come back as the people who ran the gas station that Stephanie works at. <laughs> and it's like, why on earth would John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John come back as like a married Danny and Sandy running a gas station? In the middle of nowhere. Like, <laughs> why? Why would they even say yes to that? It's just they, like, they like, we get one scene. They're not going to say yes to that. We get one scene of them in the gas station. It's like a revolutionary road type argument between the two of them, just about how much they hate each other in their lives now. So, what's this? Nerds not out. What are you, a cop? Uh, Should have picked up a line of friends, Anoni. I guess the T-Birds ain't the class act no more, huh? Yeah, I guess we ain't the class act no more, huh? Goose. Yo, Johnny. You wait for me inside. I think that the Halloween 3 analogy I made earlier, the more I've thought about it, is uh, accurate. I have a better one, Alex, of, but, but finish what's your point. That? Oh, I have a better analogy. Uh, because I recently watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And the entire time I was watching that movie. Fine, fine piece of cinema right there. I don't know about that. But the entire time (laughs) I was watching it, I kept thinking this movie, it's impossible for this movie to stand on its own because the original is just so iconic. You can't watch it Mm -hmm. without thinking of the original. And I had almost the exact same experience watching Grease 2. You can't watch it because it's just so embedded in pop culture. Uh, You know, the comparisons are there constantly. it's, it's what M was saying, you know, even if you haven't watched Grease for some reason, you know the big songs, because if you go out to karaoke or if you're like at a party, like they come on. And so mm-hmm. how do you mm-hmm. compete against that? You know, I love uh, the, yeah. uh, God, I already forgot. I, I love Prowling, but nobody's singing that at karaoke, you know, at least not. Exactly. It, it, it's just how do you win that uphill battle, you know, when you're like going against an icon? So it's. Yeah. I, I think that that comes a lot. Uh, that has a lot to do with how you experience the movie. Uh, even if you're trying to be very open minded about it, it's just. It's what you were saying too, Alex. Like this, it took you like half an hour to really <laughs> try to get into the mindset of what this movie was asking of you. It it really is a damned if you do, damned if you don't type situation. And this is something that like you know the the, the ad wizards and the the suits and execs you know that I'm sure they have to deal with all the time and it is a decision that I've never been in a place to make but the idea of a movie like this do we call it grease 2 or do we call it fucking I, I don't know uh, cool rider and then <laughs> it comes out and and then people bitch about it being a grease ripoff whereas here people bitch about it not being as good as grease so it's like that's yeah that's like I, I feel like 
in a lot of cases, that's why the idea of two and three and, you know, the numerical sequels is pretty specific to horror because you you know what to expect when you go into it. And it has historically been kind of damning for bigger franchises when you do that whole idea or especially something like this when you try to like, I mean, this in a sense is like an attempted reboot. And so I get it. I get that there's it's kind of a no win situation when you're in something yeah. like this. Yeah, it's it's almost like, you know, it is doomed to fail, you know, regardless. Mm-hmm. Um because you take out the Greece references and like you say, it, it it's just a a clone of Greece. <laughs> it's just a essentially a ripoff of Greece. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in my mind, they did a damn good job with this movie. It's not perfect, but I, I kind of love it for its imperfections in many ways because it at least tries to do something a little bit different. Um, but yeah, it's, it's on play all the time in my house because it doesn't get played at parties and discos <laughs> and bar mitzvahs and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. It just gets played in my house all the time to compensate. As a horror person and a very strict and, um, not strict, but very passionate supporter of certain movies, Halloween 4, um, I guarantee 20 years from now, I'm going to have to be holding seminars on why Halloween Kills is a masterpiece that people don't understand. Um, (laughs) And out of the horror realm, as anyone who's talked to me for more than five minutes knows, I think Batman Mask of the Phantasm is without question the best Batman film ever made, and I constantly push it on people because I feel it's my duty to do so. (laughs) So hearing that come from you about Grease 2, although I do not feel the same way about the movie, is something I can absolutely relate to and totally respect. So uh, I applaud and appreciate that because (laughs) the world needs people that trumpet movies that don't get enough trumpeting. Um Julio, my last question to you. I felt this fucking runtime. Did you? Only for a moment. Uh, because I was under the impression that everything was going to wrap up at the talent show. The movie did, you know, they don't, they don't mention the Luau at all. And so it's all been about the talent show. I'm thinking <laughs> they're going to do the talent that show. That is great. It's like he's gonna, <laughs> like the whole movie builds with the talent show. I'm like, all right, now we're going to the Luau tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it was so weird. You know, I kept waiting for... Uh, the cool writer to show up at the end of the talent show and that's gonna be the end in one more song and instead they said yeah we'll see you all tomorrow at the luau and I'm, that's when my heart sank because i was like what <laughs> this is not over <laughs> but what picked it up was that i think the luau song is really good and the the musical number like the, it was really energetic i wish that had been the final song because that was just what i was expecting that was like a throwback too to you know a, a few decades prior as far as musicals go how it started with the um, i guess for lack of a better term the pom-poms at the screen like and then they pull away and like the three guys are dancing with the twins and so yeah that that whole sequence was a lot of fun but after this conversation i guess my final thought would be i did let it weigh on me too much that like it was the sequel to Greece and uh i am not willing to say like it's good, but I think after this discussion, as often the case, I have a little bit more appreciation for it, and I think I was able to more figure out exactly what my issues were versus the whole movie being bad. And I think, unfortunately, 
after the nice things I said about him in Empire Records, I think it boils down <laughs> to Rex Manning, uh, Maxwell Caulfield in this movie. Because if your lead ain't doing it for you, we got you know you're gonna have problems with the rest of the movie. So uh, I think that he would probably be my biggest issue. And the music isn't as like I don't enjoy it as much. But then again, it's like you're talking about some of the most iconic show tunes ever written. Uh, trying to follow that up is always going to be hard. You know, it's I, I already mentioned Liam Gallagher. It's the idea of like um, their third album, "Be Here Now." I think. It's it's pretty good, but you know, after you've done fucking Wonderwall, it's like, what else can you do? So, um, <laughs> my final verdict on this: I'm moving up from a D to a C minus. That's what you've done for me here today. Um, is uh, <laughs> I'll take it. Bumped I'll, up. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> all right, let's go. Let's finish with M because that's gonna be the most positive out of all of them. M, I give a letter grade. Okay. Julio gives a star rating. You are free to. Uh, when my sister was on, she ranked by bags of popcorn, so you're free to do whatever you'd like. Julio, where where does this rate for you? Um, I, I I had to check just a second ago to see where Greece ranks for me. I gave Greece three stars. It might have inched its way to three and a half just in my mind because I this is like the history of Greece was like I didn't care for it. Then we did it for the show and in the process of editing it, because I kept listening to the soundtrack to pull songs and everything. I it, the soundtrack got stuck in my head and so I liked it even better after we've done the show and then during the pandemic my wife and I went to see it at a drive through which was a different experience it was a lot of fun and so I had to come to terms with the fact that now I'm a guy that likes Greece I just don't love Greece like Alex does so <laughs> it's probably closer to three and a half uh, now and that's what I'm going to give Greece 2 uh, I, I think Greece 2 is just as good in a very different way it's not it's just not iconic but that doesn't mean that it's good and I tell you Alex if Greece, rather, if let's say Prowling had gotten the exposure and the hype that the some of the songs in the original Greece had the benefit of having, you know, because it was a Broadway musical and there was a movie and a sensation, like it might be considered, you know, I think in your mind, maybe not yours, but in most minds, it's just another like iconic tune, but it's just the fact that it just didn't, you know, I think that as we've discussed, the circumstances were against that soundtrack because that was the other thing I was watching. I was like, I, I think the soundtrack is really good and it's just a soundtrack that never had a chance to become part of pop culture. And if it had, then who knows? You know, by now we would be talking about Grease 2 and discussing, uh, you know, we'd be able to name the songs the way that we're able to name Grease Lighting and uh, Summer Nights and all that stuff. You Hopelessly know? Devoted. Hopelessly Devoted. You know, it's just... It, they're so easy to reference because the world has made it so. And I, I I would like to think that given the same opportunities, this soundtrack would have been at least a little higher on the on the rankings. Uh, so all that said, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I was laughing constantly through the movie. I really liked the T-Birds. Like I said, biggest negative, I agree with you. It's uh, uh, Rex Manning. He just, he just doesn't do it for me as a protagonist. Uh, but I will be uh, re-watching this at some point. I'm definitely, if Kelly told me that she hadn't watched it, so I'm going to watch it again with her whenever she feels like watching a musical. So now, M, uh, give us yeah. your, your Grease 2 ranking. I mean, obviously, obviously, I can't say this is a perfect movie because I acknowledge that it does have some problems. Um, it's It's one of those things, the way that I feel about it and the way that it, it's resonated in my life would kind of mean me giving it a ridiculously high score that probably would make a lot of people scoff. 
But I do acknowledge there are issues with this movie, um, with the, the way that certain characters behave. And Maxwell Caulfield, he's hot, but <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's kind of about it. The character is better than him. The character deserves better than mm-hmm. him. And I love the character of Stephanie. I love how much agency she has. And I don't really care that she, you know, I only mentioned Julio about the fact that she sees the cool rider and she kind of mopes about for the rest of the movie. <laughs> Simply from the pure fact that as a woman, <laughs> if I'm if I in my history, if I've met a guy and I've thought, yeah, he's nice, then maybe I am gonna think about him. Maybe I am gonna be like, is he gonna call me? You know, when I was like 19, 20, if I met a guy that ticked all my boxes like that. Yeah, I'd be thinking about him. Yeah, I'd be thinking, when can we go on a date? When can I see him again? Because, you know, that's what happens to like 19, 20-year-old kids. Uh, Hormones Mm. take over and all you can do is think about that person that you really fancy. So I can can kind of stand by Stephanie on that a little bit. Um, But I'm not one of these people who goes into movies like this blinded by affection. I'm not going to do like a mummy situation where I'm going to be like five stars across the board because the mummy is perfect. (laughs) But I am going to, you know, be a little bit objective about it. Um, I would genuinely give this movie like four and a half cool riders out of five cool riders (laughs) just because I really, really love this movie and I enjoy it and I just really think it deserves to be given a chance. And if people listening to The Contrarians are willing to give this movie a chance now, based on our conversation, then that's a win, as far as I'm concerned. Hey. Please go and watch Grease too. And if you don't like it, yeah, you kind of roll. (laughs) (laughs) I just think appreciate it for what it is. Don't compare it to Grease. I love this movie. As someone that ranks with his heart, I appreciate your your ranking because I usually ultimately even there's movies that I give five stars to, even though I can point flaws in them just because of how they make me feel. And ultimately, the yeah. ranking is is about how I feel. Uh, what is your verbal diorama pitch? Just this is your chance to tell all the contrarian listeners about it. Yeah, hit us with it. <laughs> well, hello, contrarians listeners. Um, I am a woman. I'm British. And I host a movie podcast. And I like to describe it as, well, it, I mean, it's called Verbal Diorama. That's not how I describe it. That's just its name. <laughs> but it's also, um, I like to describe it as, um, it's basically the podcast all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And basically what that means is I like to talk about film history because I'm always fascinated by how things get made and about how important it is to actually celebrate the making of a movie. Because I think we take for granted, we look at a movie and we'll look at it subjectively and we'll say either, oh, I like that or I didn't like that. And that's fine because there's plenty of room out there for criticism. And criticism should always be something that you know, is an acceptable way to respond to uh, a piece of art. You you can like it, you can dislike it. That's absolutely fine. But when I started Verbal Diorama, it was never to sort of solely give my opinion. 
because, I mean, I will give my opinion. I will let you know what I think of the movies that I do feature. But I've always been really fascinated by how movies come together. And I think it's really important that we celebrate how movies come together, about how much work it takes to, you know, to go from conception to completion. And obviously so many movies don't achieve that. You know, so many movies end up in development hell for a reason. And the fact that so many make it through and they get released, they may not be good. They may not be bad, but it's still an achievement to do that. And I'm just basically here to celebrate that and to give you a little bit of information about how that movie came to be, whether that's a story about the production or about the release or about the marketing or or all of the above, you know, just to basically give you an idea of how this movie came to be. And I do like to focus on certain things. I'm a huge animation nerd for a start. So I feature a lot of animation on Double Diorama, but I'm also a huge fan of musicals as well, clearly. Um, and <laughs> I love practical effects. I'm a huge nerd for practical effects and how a movie, because movies are magic, like how they do what they do, how they put that on screen, puppet work, animatronics, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And I just like to be quite upbeat and quite passionate about movies and about how they come together. And so that is basically what verbal diorama is. And um, yeah. Movie history. <laughs> TLDR. <Hell yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it is a pleasure to listen to. So uh, all of you contrary listeners that haven't checked out Verbal Diorama, go and do so now. Like we said, there's an episode on Greece too. So it's like the perfect segue yeah. to this conversation. Um, so that's Verbal Diorama. Alex, I think we've come to the end of the school year. Yeah, I would say so. Yes, sir. Em, thank you so much for coming here. Yeah. Thank you so much for making us do this movie. Uh, I think that it was a long time coming and it, you just, you made it happen. That's that's entirely on you. <laughs> and, uh, I forced myself upon you, <laughs> just like Lewis <laughs> did to <Aww>. Sharon. <laughs> I'm so sorry. There you go. No, I'm not we sorry. We did it for America um, and England. <laughs> well, that's the thing. We we did it for the this United podcast. Allies for the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well thank you once again uh all of you one last time check out verbal diorama and uh we'll uh head out into our perennial plugs now so we want to start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks they kick us off with last stand take us home with summer of 99 be sure to head over to the festiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs and while you're at it, be sure to check out our friends at the Late Night Grin. You can find them at Late Night Grin on Twitter. Wrestling podcast. Also, they cover film from time to time, do watch-alongs. Uh, for the month of October, they did several uh, watch-alongs, as they call them, grin-alongs for the Halloween franchise. Some good dudes over there that help support us, so we want to do the same for them. Again, that is at Late Night Grin on Twitter. From there, you can find all the links to their YouTube page, Twitch page, everything in between boys thank you take care our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothgeiser is the man behind our logo 
and all the other graphics that you see on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page. Uh, if it has a little tomato looking at itself in the mirror, uh, odds are that Hans is the one that drew it. You can check out his work on his webpage, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. And you can contact him to tell him how much you like his work uh, on Twitter at Mildemonios or through email at mildemonios at hotmail.com. You can check out his podcasts. He has two, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. You can check out his books, a whole bunch of zombie books and fantasy books. His most recent one is Requiem for Tarma, which is, uh, I want to say, the fourth entry in a specific zombie series that he's been writing for, for a few years now. So check out his work. Tell him how much you appreciate the support he gives us, because we certainly do. Hans, thank you. And thank you to the support and effort of Ms. Zoe Perez, our social media guru, social media czar. Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. You can find us on Instagram at Contrarian Prime. We have our YouTube page, which you can find the link to in the show notes. Uh, we have a bunch of material. We have a lot more than just these shows, and you can find them through those pages. And Zoe uh, does so much work for us putting those together and making them look real pretty, real special. So, Zoe, we appreciate all the work you've done for us and continue to do for us. And we appreciate you, our listening public, for tuning in to yet another episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Bye.